Hello everybody, Andrea Pacini here from Ideas on Stage in the UK. We help business professionals create and deliver engaging presentations. And today I'm super excited because I have a great guest. Now, I shouldn't say this because I had other guests in the past and all of them were amazing, but this one, I'm, I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this chat for weeks, if not months. I'm here with Lee Warren. Lee is a professional public speaker, is a conference and keynote business speaker. And of course, that's what we're going to talk about today, public speaking. Lee, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure. Good morning. Buongiorno. <laughs> buongiorno. Do you speak Italian or just buongiorno? <laughs> Parlo spagnoli e sono similare, no? Ah, that's why. How did you, how did you learn Spanish? I learned a long time ago. I, I, um, I went to Barcelona to learn and I, I met and fell in love with a Venezuelan. And um, so ah. I had to, my, my Spanish had to get better very quickly. <laughs> ah, that's why, that's why. Yeah, it is, it is indeed very similar. Okay, so Lee, thank you very much for being with us. Now, before we start talking about public speaking, for me, your background is quite interesting. Your, your background is as a magician. So if I understood well, for quite a few years, you you were you performed as a magician so what what's the connection what happened if there is what's the connection between being a magician and now being a, a business presenter business speaker there are lots of connections really andrea um so, so my background sort of in two halves really i've, I've done um a lot of work in sales uh, I, when i first moved to london a long time ago my first sales job was uh, selling encyclopedia britannica um <laughs> almost literally door to door. And, uh, and I eventually went on to um, uh, head up sales for a publication at News International, which is a, a, an international publishing firm. Um, but yeah, so since I was 12 years old, I've also been a performer for, for money. And most of that performing has been magic, either what's called close up magic, which is walking up to people at events and doing magic in, in, in their hands or cabaret magic, which is walking on stage. And the, 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 the connect, I mean, there are lots of connections. The, the, the main connection, I suppose, is that when you're performing, when you're a performer, it's your job as a performer to very quickly, almost instantly, get the attention and get the trust of an audience, get the audience wanting it to go well. Um, and, and so that's one main connection. And, and then another main connection is when you're performing, you've always got a very uh, strict limit on the time. And so within that time, you have to shape your if you like your performance to you have to give it an arc that keeps the audience engaged keeps them interested you have to know what to leave till the end what to put in at the beginning what stuff should be in the middle um and all of those things feed into both presenting and public speaking um and then i suppose the the the, the last connection um uh, the last connection between the two and this is a bit different to a lot of people sort of go to actors and mm. things like that to help with their public speaking but actually, what, what actors never do, or almost never do, is they never speak directly to the audience. Mm. Whereas people like comedians and magicians, cabaret performers, we're, we're very used to. We walk on a stage and we don't pretend that the audience is not there. We, we speak directly to them. So we have to get a very uh, strong engagement uh, quickly. So that thing of not being frightened of walking on a stage and looking at the audience and talking to them is, is another, I think, very strong connection. And this last point is a big thing, isn't it? Because I also always say to, to our clients, when you give a presentation, really, it's not your presentation, it's their presentation. So you always need to start with the audience. So 
that, that, that was a very important point, the last one. And I think I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that background in acting, but I think they say that in their, in their space, they call it the fourth wall, isn't it? Fourth wall, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and um, it's a big convention, certainly of European theatre, that you have this fourth wall, this imaginary wall that separates the actor from the audience. Um, and actors are very, um, I, I don't mean to be rude about actors, Act, actors are very good at what they do, but, but their technique is, if you think about it, it's very different to what business presenters do or public speakers do. So, so actors usually will be given a script. They'll have a script written for them and they have a director to tell them what to do and they have lighting on them to make them look good and perhaps background music and, and so on. So their, their, their technical skills are very different to the skills of walking onto an empty stage or standing up at the end of a boardroom or a table or something and having to speak um, directly. And you're absolutely right. The, the presentation is always for the audience. Um, uh, I, I mean, you know, if you're the presenter, you, you, you know it already. That it's, it's, it's never for you. It's, it's always for yeah. other people. Yeah. Lee, the, I, the, the, the reason I got to know you, online, so we spoke for the first time a couple, no, a few months ago now. Uh, but before that, I knew you before that. And the reason why I knew you online was because I stumbled upon this great phrase, this sentence that I think you use, which is something like grown-ups don't use PowerPoint. Something like that. Use PowerPoint, yeah. Grown-ups yes. don't use PowerPoint. Why is that? What do you mean by that? Well, that's the title of one of my main keynotes, um, mm -hmm. grown-ups don't use PowerPoint. And the, the, the point behind that title is, there are several points really. Um, and, and I talk about this during, during the talk itself, which is it's, it, 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 part of the, um, what can help you as a presenter or a public speaker is giving great titles to what you do. And far too many people, when they put presentations together, they'll call them something like marketing update in room three. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and very often, actually, you, you, you can often um, get your presentation off to a really good start just by giving it a more interesting title, mm -hmm. just by getting the audience thinking before they're in the room or getting them a bit interested or intrigued. Um, so that's the reason I give my talk that title, Grown Ups Don't Use PowerPoint, because I want people to come to it. I want people to look forward to it. I want them to be engaged even before I start speaking. And then during the talk, I make the point that, that actually the title is grown-ups don't use PowerPoint dot, dot, dot. Uh -huh. And what that dot, dot, dot means is grown-ups, grown adults, people who are professionals, they don't use PowerPoint instead of understanding their audience. They don't use PowerPoint instead of rehearsing. They don't use PowerPoint instead of some proper preparation. Um, PowerPoint, I think, is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And far too many people, when they start presenting, they, they open up their laptop and they open up PowerPoint and they start typing things into PowerPoint. That's often, their, uh, for many people, their way of beginning or preparing a presentation. And I think it's, it's a good tool to go for at the end of your, present, your preparation process, but quite often a bad one to, to start with. I agree 100%. Also, Steve Jobs used to say that if you know what you're talking about, you don't need PowerPoint. Yeah, I would I would agree with that to to a, a small extent. Although of course he always used visual aids yeah, behind. Yeah. Um, and I think there are two strong reasons for using either PowerPoint or some kind of visual um, display with you. Uh, and the first reason is when it helps the audience, when it assists the audience to understand something, or when it lets them know uh, where you are in a presentation. So if your if your presentation follows a, a classic sort of three part message. 
then it's really nice for the audience to know, oh, we're, we're in part two at the moment, right? We're, we're, in the, we're in the section on strategy. So you might have the word strategy behind you or a picture about strategy. And for the audience, that can be quite nice and reassuring. Or perhaps there's a, um, a, a diagram of a process, one step leading to another. And often for an audience, that can make it easier for the audience to understand. And then there's a second reason, which a lot of people, for a lot of people is not obvious. Um, and this is more true if you're doing public speaking or doing what I do, which is keynote speaking, conference speaking, um, and which is that slides behind you they look really great in the photographs afterwards. Uh. Um, <laughs> so when someone's taken a photograph of you, if there's nothing behind you, it, often conference rooms are quite boring. They're gray or brown walls. Whereas if you've got a really interesting slide, it makes the photo look amazing. Nice. So interesting point. <laughs> okay. But I also use them, uh, but I agree with you. The point is that slides and PowerPoint or whatever presentation tool is there to reinforce and, and, and support and amplify your messages for the audience to better understand what you're talking about, not for yeah. you to, yeah, to remember what to say or to, to replicate what you're saying. So it is, I agree with you, it's the last step of the presentation creation process. Okay, yes. Lee, but, but what, why do we need to care about presentations? Um, well, so my, my client base and my experience is in the, in the corporate world and, and business leader world of presenting. So I can only speak to, to that, really. Um, I think there are lots of reasons for anybody who's got a, on, a, on a professional career track or wants to get um, uh, buy-in internally from other people. There are all sorts of reasons why you should care about presenting. The first is that it's, it's, it's one of the strongest ways to build your brand and your influence, your personal brand and your influence. We reserve, I think, in the world, a very particular kind of respect for people who do one of two things, people who write about their expertise and people who speak about their expertise, people who stand up and talk about what they know or what they want to change in the world or what they want to have happen. Um, and anybody who can stand in front of a room of 10 people or stand in front of a stage in front of 200 people um, instantly sort of gets elevated to, to guru status, if you like, instantly becomes the expert. And I've worked with several clients. I don't do a lot of individual coaching, actually. Um, and when I do, it tends to be at fairly senior leadership yeah. uh, positions. Um, but I've worked with several clients who've wanted to increase their influence or increase their personal brand. And, and the first thing we do is sit down and look at where are all the opportunities, where are the, where are the internal meetings, where are the industry conferences, and, and we get them in front of people very, very quickly. And it's just it's a great way to build your brand. So that's one main reason why we should care about presenting. The other reason, and this is not necessarily obvious either, is that when you're doing the kind of presentations which are either around getting buy-in internally, so for example, let's say you've been working on a project and you're trying to get your business to agree to extend that project for 12 months or to agree to implement the results of this project, or when your presentation is around perhaps sales, so when you're speaking in front of prospective new clients or existing clients where you want to, to present an idea, when you're doing that kind of presentation, one thing that's not obvious to most people is that the, the presentation itself is an admission from the audience that they can't make a, a rational decision about your idea. Mm. What I mean by that is anybody, for example, any client who wanted to make a 100% rational decision, do I work with you or do I work with somebody else? If, they, if their decision was 100% rational, they, they would never let you in the room with them, right? They would ask for documents and emails and look at your website and so on. They wouldn't want to meet you. 
because we know deep down that we can be very, very influenced by talking to somebody face to face, by looking in their eyes, hearing the tone of their voice. Um, we're, we're very influenced by that as human beings. So when, when people ask us to present to them, or when, when people say, let's have a meeting about this and why don't you give us an update on your project? Deep down, what they're really saying is, I don't trust myself to make a completely rational decision. I need to see you and hear you. I need to know if I agree to your project, can I trust you with this? If I give you the funding, can I trust you that you'll do a good job? If I'm a prospective client, I'm literally saying, I don't just want to work with somebody who's going to bring a great result. I want to work with somebody I can trust and I'm going to enjoy working with. So come into the room and speak to me. And sorry, that's a long answer, Andrea, but no, the point I... I'm making is, and it is a really important one, is that presentations, are, the reason we should care about them is they're an opportunity and they're probably the only opportunity to do what you can't do in a written document or on a website or on a brochure. They're, an, they're a chance to affect people with all the information that you've got rather than just giving people information. Yeah. No, it's not a long answer. It's a great answer. So no, no problem at all. Take your time. Um, now you mentioned sales and you might have given the answer already. Or maybe you've got something else to add uh, on this. In, in one of the chapters of your book, The Busy Person's Guide to Great Presenting, which I would recommend everybody to read, a great book, you, oh, say, great. <laughs> you say that all presentations are selling something. Hmm. Would you like to explore a little bit more or is there something that you've covered already in your previous answer? No, we can, we can, we can explore any, any, I can talk for hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so when you're, it's, it's often um, a mistake that people make that they think when they're presenting that their presentation is about giving an audience information. But actually, in a way, it's sort of the, the, the reverse of the previous answer, which is it's really useful to think when you're, when you're getting ready to give a presentation, when you're, when you're getting ready to you know, stand up, in, whether it's three people in a room or 10 people at the end of a telephone or 100 people in, a, in an auditorium, when you're presenting, presenting is not really about giving audiences information. Um, and actually, presenting is a terrible way to give people information. I mean, people forget most of what you've said. They, 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 they misunderstand half of what they remember anyway. Um, their concentration fades in and out. It's, it's quite stressful for most people presenting. It's time consuming. It's expensive to get people in a room. So it's a really terrible way to give people information. If you just want to give them information, give them, give them a brochure or send them an email or, or a text message. Um, so what I mean by selling something is it's really important to be a great presenter that you move away from the idea of I'm just telling people information and think more of what am I trying to uh, get them to either believe or to do as a result of my message. So you might not be selling a service or a product, but you're nearly always selling an idea or you're selling a next action. And it, that might be really simple. It might be that you're selling the idea of a second meeting. So your whole presentation might be I want you to believe me enough. I want to have enough credibility that you go away and speak to your boss and you come back and you agree, let's meet again in two weeks time. So although your presentation might officially be about, let's say your company, your company's history and the other clients you've worked with, actually what you're selling is, believe me enough that you agree to a second meeting. Next step. Yeah. And those two things, yeah, the next steps. But those two things are quite different in terms of how you prepare a presentation. So that's what I mean by you're always selling something. 
huge difference absolutely we are i knew that already but it's it's great to see that there is this uh, reinforcement uh, here that we are 100 percent aligned so when you say that actually your objective is not to inform but to make them believe something new or different or to make them do something new or different uh, i agree 100 percent Okay, let's talk about also some, some practical tips. In the book, you, there's also a chapter where you say the, you talk about the one minute. Yes, that's it, <laughs> read it, read it. <laughs> so, The Busy Person's Guide to, be, to Great Presenting. There is a chapter which is about the one minute warm up. Mm -hmm. What is it? So the one minute warm up is a little technique I, I, um, I, I was going to say I invented. I haven't really invented it. I've sort of brought together things that are quite famous in, in the world of theatre and put them together. One of the things I noticed when I started um, running, speaking about presenting and running workshops was I noticed that a, a lot of people uh, were focused on their presentation skills. Mm -hmm. So, for example, their body language and their voice and, and that kind of thing. Whereas it became very, very quickly, uh, very obvious to me that actually what most people need to focus on is their message and the connection between their message and their audience. Mm. That's where most great presenting lies. In fact, most performing skills are not that important. They're not totally unimportant, but they're not nearly as important as anybody, uh, as many people think they are. And um, I went to, to watch a few people delivering some workshops. And I also asked a lot of clients what kind of preparation they'd done. And what I noticed also was a lot of people were focusing far too much on loads of sort of professional theater level skills, mm -hmm. which actually no one's ever going to use in the real world. They, they just haven't got time. And, you know, you can't do a, a, a three hour vocal warm up mm -hmm. before every time you present. Nobody's got time. So I wanted to create something that any, anybody could do in less than a minute uh, and anywhere, wherever they were, whether they were walking along the street or um, waiting in the foyer of a client's office. So the, the one minute warm up is effectively, um, just a way very, very quickly to get your body and your brain and your voice just physiologically ready to present. Presenting is a little bit different to normal communication, mm. right? It's not quite the same as just having a chat in a bar. You're, you're using different kind of language. You're trying to get a message across to the audience. So your, your voice needs to be often a little bit more authoritative, perhaps a little louder or certainly a little more resonant um, than in normal speech. So the way I'm speaking now, for me, is painfully slow, right? This is mm. in my head, this sounds insanely slow. And I would never speak to a friend of mine like this in a bar, but this is yeah. the level. Um, and it probably sounds fast even to some people listening to Zoom. But for me, in my head, I have to slow myself down a lot. Um, uh, so, so you need to sort of get yourself mentally and physically ready for this slightly different state that is presenting. Uh, and, and so the, 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 the one minute warm up basically is just a way of ha having a bit of physical relaxation in your body, getting your voice warmed up. Um, what I ask everybody to do is let out a little gentle M sound. So uh, mm. I, it, it won't come across on a microphone, but you just almost like a hummed M, which res wakes up the resonators at the front of the face. Um, I use a little sentence which has lots of M's in it to make sure that my voice is nice and warm and ready to go. And the one I always use is, because um, it makes me laugh when I do it, is remember the money. Remember <laughs> the money. <laughs> I can't say that sentence without smiling. And it slightly takes the edge off the nerves as well, just a little bit, being a bit tongue-in-cheek. And then the very last thing I do is, um, uh, as a minimum, is say out loud the first line of my presentation. Mm -hmm. So the presentation might be, good morning, everybody. It's very good to see you all. And I say that out loud two or three times before starting. 
and you just it's it's just as much psychological as it is physical really it just gets you in the right state and you feel more confident and confidence is very charismatic and very attractive and audience is warm to presenters who uh, um who are ready to go who are, who are alive and feel a bit confident yeah nice and you said that one of the key things to successful presenting is the the message hmm? and more than perhaps anything else and again in your book you talk about how can you find your key messages with a single question what's that question <laughs> so so the que the question is what do i want the audience to do uh by the end of my presentation or as a result of my presentation yeah. what do i want them to do so the word do is important because Again, that comes back to the theme of it pushes you away from just giving people information and forces you to think about what action do you want people to, to take. Um, and sometimes that action is, is obvious. So sometimes it's something like, well, I want them to agree to the, to, to the project or I want them to agree to another meeting. Sometimes that's very obvious. Sometimes the ultimate goal of what you're doing can't be achieved in a single presentation. So, for example, let's say you're in a classic sales situation and you might have to go and deliver three or four presentations along this sales pitch process. Um, so your, you know, your early goals, your ultimate goal might be to win the business from a new client, but you can't necessarily achieve that in a single presentation. So asking the question, what do I want this audience to do as a result of this presentation gets you very, very clear on, on what how to use the 30 minutes in the room you've got with this audience, really focusing on, okay, at the end of 30 minutes, what do we want them to do? Do we want them to ask more questions? Do we want them to be intrigued enough that they're definitely going to read the handout, right? Um, and I've worked with many, many clients where um, that's been, a, a, without exaggeration, a game-changing switch of focus. Um, because I've seen, you know, their initial presentation has been half an hour and they just talk about themselves. You know, we were founded in 1987. We're brilliant at this. We do this. Our client list is this. What we're great at is this. Oh, and here's a handout with more information. But, you know, the audience are so uninterested. So, 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 so uh, they've had so much information in the presentation that they're not going to read the handout because they feel emotionally, well, we've, we've got all the information. Whereas when you change that and say, okay, by the end of this presentation, we want the audience to read the handout. Well, you change your presentation because you deliberately leave out loads of information about yourselves, right? You deliberately mention the handout during the presentation. And you say, we believe X, Y, and Z. If you want to know why we believe that, there's a whole page in the handout, right? So you sort of, perhaps you're a little bit more provocative with the audience, a little bit more interesting with the audience. So that's, that's, that's the utility of that question. Um, and I found it useful, so useful that every time I work with clients, and, and most of my work is in um, uh, teams or, or leadership teams mm -hmm. rather than just individuals. Um, one of the very first things we do is I get people to get very clear on that goal. What do you want people to do as a result of this presentation? And once they're clear on that goal, almost everything else that you can ask about your presentation is answered by going back to that goal. So for example, people will say things like, well, how long should the presentation be? Well, what do you want the audience to do? Should we use slides or not? Well, what do you want the audience to do? Um, uh, should we send an, e an invitation in advance? Well, what do you want the audience to do? Right, so you, if you keep coming back to that goal, it can make everything else in the presentation better and different. Yeah, this is super powerful because I can see that what that does is it forces the presenter to 
come up with key messages that are less focused on what the audience needs to know information, which is not the real objective of a presentation. I agree with you 100%, and more focus on what they need to believe, feel, and do after the presentation, which is completely different. And so once you start with that, then the key messages address that particular objective, which is not just sharing information. So. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and the reason I came up with the sentence, and I'm so strict about the word do, is that in, in classic presenting theory, if you like, they, they, um, a lot of people will say, and, 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 I, and I agree with them to an extent, but they will say, you always have to be clear on what you want the audience to know, feel, or mm. do. Right? Mm. Um, but what I noticed is a lot of people were sticking at the word no, mm. and they were saying, okay, if, I, if I'm clear on what I want the audience to know, it's enough. then I've goal and it's not enough it's never enough so so i've worked with clients and let's say for example they say something like um well what i want the audience to know is um uh what what are where are marketing focuses for next year well that still leaves the question okay so if the audience know that so what, what are they do differently mm. why, why are they in that room why are you spending probably it's probably costing your company thousands of pounds to have this hour-long presentation possibly tens of thousands of pounds what are they going to do if they do understand the marketing strategy. Yeah. And that pushes the presentation into a much more intriguing, interesting, useful area, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Lee, another interesting thing you mentioned in your book is you talk about the difference between rehearsal and practice. <laughs> well, what's the difference? So this, this, this thing comes out, I suppose, of, of quite a, a long experience of being a performer and, mm -hmm. and, and understanding those differences. So the example I use in my book, which I think makes it very clear, is, is I, I, I play the piano, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm a very bad pianist, but I love <laughs> it. I just, I just love it. It's really good for the soul. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I recommend anybody who doesn't play a musical instrument, learn a musical instrument. It doesn't matter how bad you are. There's just something lovely that happens. So when you, when you play the piano, there, there are two things. There's, there's practice and there's rehearsal, and they are different. So practice is sitting down and thinking, okay, I'm going to practice these four bars. I'm going to practice this moment. And, oh, where do my fingers need to be? And I haven't quite got that right. And I'll do that again. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tinker over these details until I feel like I've got them right. Rehearsal is saying, here's the piece of music. It's three minutes long. And I'm now going to rehearse. I'm going to pretend there's an audience there. And I'm going to start at the first note. And I'm going to keep going until the end, mm. no matter what happens. And it's terrifying, right? and, it's, and it's clumsy and ugly and awkward the first time you do it. So practicing in a way is, is, is allowing yourself to stop and to look at details and to go back and to change things. But there comes a moment when you have to rehearse. And, and, and again, my strong recommendation with everybody, so practicing in presentations would be something like, oh, I'll, I'll, I think I've got my main message mapped out. I think I know the structure. I've got a few slides. So when I'm talking about strategy, um, maybe I need that slide there. Uh, or actually, no, I need another one to make the point clear. That's practicing. It's going through the structure of your presentation, making sure everything's in place. Rehearsal is, all right, I'm going to be speaking to a room of 10 people. Uh, I'll be standing at the end of a table. So, okay, so I'll stand up. Do I need a clicker? Oh, I, I need a clicker because actually my laptop's going to be over there and I can't keep walking backwards and forwards. I'll have a clicker. Oh, well, now I realize the screen's going to be behind me in the room. So actually I need to be standing to one side. So that's um, uh, what happens in rehearsal. And then you start and you put a timer on yourself and perhaps you video yourself if you're feeling very brave. Um, and you go right to the end without stopping. 
And the first time you do it, it's horrible and ugly and awkward because you realize, oh, I, I sound like an idiot at the beginning or I forgot to say my main, I, I worked out this beautiful phrase, I forgot to say it. But that's the whole point of rehearsal. And, and, and the reason I'm so strict about it, um, and, and I'm not strict about very many things in presenting, but with all my clients, I always say you have to do this at least three times is because the, the terrifying reality is you've only got two choices when you think about rehearsing. You either rehearse in advance or you rehearse in front of your audience. True. Right? They're your only two choices, your only two options. And it's much, 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 much better to rehearse in advance. Make all your mistakes the day before. Right? Don't, don't use your audience to rehearse. Yeah, <laughs> nice one. And how many times do you rehearse, Lee? Um, for me, it's a little bit different these days because most of the things I get booked to do are my main keynotes. Yeah. So for about 80% of my keynotes, I've done them probably hundreds of times. So, the, so those bits I don't usually rehearse anymore. I don't need to rehearse because I, I do them a yeah. lot. With most of them, there'll be about 20% that's bespoke to a client. So that perhaps a particular industry will say, can you make it relevant to whatever our industry or our challenge is? Um, and again, I, I've, I follow the rules. So a minimum of three times, minimum of three times. I'm, I'm being paid to do it and it's my job. So I'll often do it more than three. Yeah. Um, but I think it's quite important to distinguish people who are, when we're giving presentations, particularly in a business environment, nobody expects you to be a professional performer. Mm -hmm. right? and it's quite important to understand this because otherwise people can get quite worked up and nervous about it. So presenting is not about performing. It's about communicating. Yeah. And the reason I talk about rehearsal and say three times is so that you get really clear on your communication and how you're going to deliver that message to the audience to affect them. And, and, and you need three times to do that, I think. But you don't need to spend, you know, four days preparing a rehearsing a 20 minute presentation. Nobody expects you to be that good. And, and the, 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 the fun reality of the real world is um, uh, I, I say this a lot to clients. Um, the standard of presenting, in, 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 in particularly in the corporate world, is so low. Yeah. The quality is so poor of most pre presentations that you don't need to be very good to appear to be brilliant. True. Right? If you've got a strong, clear message and it's right for the audience and you've rehearsed it three times, you will appear to be brilliant to everybody. Um, so so, so, so three, three times is enough. True. Uh, I, I agree. Not, in the end, 99% of presentations suck. Yeah. Which, is, which is bad, but it's also good for those who want to do it differently. Because then if you do it a little bit differently, then immediately you will be part of the 1% of the business population who delivers presentations that don't suck. So it's, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. I'd add one slight caveat to that, which I think it's, it's easy to be different. Mm. Um, slightly harder to be different in a way that's good for the audience. Mm -hmm. so, you know, you could walk on stage wearing only uh, your underwear <laughs> and that would be different. Whether it would be good for the audience is, oh. is, is another thing. So uh, the reason I say that, Andrea, is I've sometimes seen people, especially when they haven't prepared enough, but they mm. really want to stand out. Mm. I've seen people sort of at the last minute almost panic and they, they you know, they throw in a, a, a joke they looked up on the internet mm. in the morning or, or they bring on, a, a teddy bear or something just to be a bit different and actually audiences audiences really don't like it if they feel like you're wasting their time mm. you're doing something different that's good for them and interesting for them and relevant for them they love it but if you're just trying to make yourself look good audiences can pull away from you quite quickly i think yeah yeah okay you, you mentioned something before that 
then normally most of what you do, or maybe part of what you do is giving your keynotes on, on, on things that perhaps you've done hundreds of times or thousands of times. But you, you mentioned maybe 20% often is bespoke to that particular client, to that particular audience. And perhaps that answers the question, but maybe you would like to expand on that. My question is, so especially, for example, in your situation where you've got your topic, or you've got your three, four, five, ten topics, and so you've got your material, but then you need to customize it for a specific audience. How do you go about that? What would be your recommendation for people who, need, who are in a similar situation? So there are two ways of doing it, and, and, and I use both. Um, and one is to, uh, so like many people who work with presentations, I'm very keen on having stories, anecdotes, mm. and mm. so on that make your point for you. So, so one of the ways of doing this is to make sure that your stories and anecdotes are so universal mm. that any audience can relate to them. And if you've got a good, interesting story, um, so for example, one of my, one of my stories in, in my keynotes is about buying chocolate. Mm. Uh, and everybody can relate to, 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 to buying chocolate, right? Pretty much everybody can. Um, another of my stories is about um, a property, either renting or buying a property. And again, everybody sitting in an audience of mine has either rented somewhere or have, has bought somewhere or wants to buy somewhere. So that's one way of doing it, is, is, is having some stories that everybody finds interesting, everybody can, can relate to. And then the second, of course, is to, is to dig into the world of the audience a bit and bring out things that are relevant to them. And I'll, I'll do that at least, at least once in every mm. keynote I deliver. So, for example, if I'm speaking to, a, uh, let's say, a firm of lawyers who specialize in, uh, I don't know, I'm making it up on the spur of the moment, but let's say they specialize in cross-border uh, um, uh, uh, trade disputes. <laughs> I'm making that up. So I will, I'll, sit, I'll speak to my client on the phone or sit with them and say, the point I want to make is what happens when two people can't communicate anymore. Mm. Can you give me an example of where that's occurred in a cross-border trade dispute? And they'll say immediately, oh yes, actually this happened and this happened. And I'll take that story and I might change it a little bit. I'll take some names out. Um, I might you know, strengthen one of the points. Um, so that's, that's another way of doing it. The slight danger of the second method is, particularly if you're speaking outside of your own industry, outside of your own area mm. of expertise, is you never want to appear to the audience to be pretending to be an expert mm. in their world. So I will always say, I'm not an expert in your world, but I was speaking to one of your colleagues last week and she told me this great story and I'll tell them the story as if it's come from a third person because I don't want, um, because it's very easy to get it wrong yeah. if you pretend to be an expert in the, in the audience's world. Um, so they're, they're the two ways of, of doing it. Um, and then I suppose the third thing to mention is you, you want to be really clear on what the main message is, what the main point is. So making sure that whatever uh, um, anecdote or bit of information or bit of data you use that's relevant to their world, making sure that links really obviously and clearly back to your main mm -hmm. message. So don't tell stories just for the, um, uh, ju just for the sake of it. We see that this tells uh, our listeners today, our audience, that often there is homework to do for the presenter as well. So what you say is that, especially for the second method, that again, talking about the audience, you need to understand your audience, you need to know who they are, and you need to know how your message relates to them. And I have to say, I don't know about your experience, Lee, but very few people do that, especially when it comes to business presentations. 
Al almost nobody does it. Um, and um, and the, the other thing is most of us are very good at photoshopping reality. And so often we tell ourselves afterwards that a presentation went much better than it did. Um, <laughs> Ask someone two days later and they say, yeah, it went quite well, actually. And, and you know, if you were to video it, you'd see it was, it was a bit of a car crash. Um, <laughs> and, and we probably should have started with talking about the audience, actually, because the relation of the message to the audience is, is probably the most single important thing in, in presenting. Um, I mean, one thing to mention is most of this stuff we've been talking about doesn't take very long. It, it can accidentally sound like it's a lot of work and a lot of time. And in my experience, it's not. Once you've got the basic idea, yeah. when I, and, and the whole reason I wrote my book is, is, is I realized there is a structured way of thinking about presenting, which any, anybody can follow and use. And it's very quick once you get the idea of it. And, and, and boiled down to essentials, it's, it's who is the audience? A question I use very near the beginning of the book is always ask yourself, what does my audience expect to hear? And then what do they need to hear? Mm. And those two things can quite often be different. Yeah. Um, so, for example, you know, if they're expecting to hear you do a financial update, right? You know, if you're doing the, the if you're at the annual conference and, 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 and everybody knows, oh, God, Andrea's coming and he's going to do an hour on finance. OK, that's what the audience expect to hear. Well, what do they need to hear? Right. That can change how you present your even something as, 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 as dull as financial information. Um, so anything you can do to get yourself in the mindset of the audience is, is great. Um, once you've done that, so if I'm given, if someone gave me half an hour to prepare a new, totally new presentation, I would spend 10 minutes of that half an hour trying to understand the audience, mm. right? I would, I would write down who are they, what's on their mind, what are their priorities, where have they just come from, where are they going, what do they expect to hear, what do they need to hear, what do I want them to do, um, ten, you know, so a third of my preparation time. Once you've done that, you then focus on your core message, break it into three parts, um, follow a, 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 a very brief structure, which is essentially about having a good beginning, a good core, and a good ending. I mean, there's, obviously there's more details, but that's roughly it. Um, and then the, 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 the third thing is making sure you're prepared for questions and knowing how you're going to finish on a high. Um, and, and that's sort of it, really. And once you've got the hang of it, it takes, I don't know, if you've got a really important presentation, maybe up to an hour, not including rehearsal time. Um, and if you've got a, a quick presentation tomorrow that you just want, want it to be a bit better, um, then 15 minutes is, is probably enough, really. And that's super useful for listeners today. And, and talking about the audience, so we said the audience is the most important piece uh, in a presentation. And you also mentioned our questions. Sometimes questions can be challenging. And not just in the Q&A, but let's talk about a difficult audience so if the question i get asked all the time is how do you deal with a hostile audience how can you can you be prepared maybe for um for a difficult audience what, what do you think lee i suppose when you asked me that question earlier about how does a, a, a background of performing um relate to presenting actually the, the, i should have mentioned this this is probably one of the strongest because okay. when you've performed on, on stage in front of um uh, let's say something like the post office union workers Christmas party at uh, half past 10 in the evening when they're all wildly drunk. And I mean, that's a, that's a difficult audience, right? <laughs> a, a, a boardroom of 10 people at 11 in the morning doesn't hold any terrors for me any, anymore. Um, there, there are several different ways of preparing for a hostile audience. 
the, the, the most important, I think, is, is, well, first of all, understanding where does the hostility come from? Mm. And there's usually two different kinds of hostility. So sometimes it can be hostility to you and your ideas mm. as a presenter. But that's usually a minority. The, the, the much greater hostility is because of internal politics. Um, so, for example, maybe half the room hates the other half of the room mm. and, and they're just using you as the presenter to show the other half of the room either how much they understand or why they don't agree with this idea. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, if you're presenting the results of a project that's been going on for a year, there may be somebody very senior who's very new to the business. They've only been in their role for one month. So they need to assert themselves. They need to show everybody in the room how powerful they are and why they don't think this project is worth continuing with. And it's not really you as the presenter, and it's not really your, because of your project, it's because of them. So it's quite important, I think, to distinguish that early on. A second thing that you can do as a presenter is you can acknowledge it. And I'm amazed how many people don't do this. Um, we, we love presenters who are authentic and who are honest with us. So having a part of your messaging as early in the presentation as possible, which acknowledges it, which says, look, I know that most people in this room are opposed to this idea, or I know most of the people in this room think this is a waste of our time and money. I know most people in the room don't want to work with us as a new business. You want to stick with your existing agency. Just saying those things out loud, it can often psychologically soften the audience, get them on your side a bit more. And even going to the extent, and I've definitely had clients who've done this with great effect, um, look, everybody, thank you for coming this morning. I know you don't want to be here. I know you think this is a waste of your time. I've done quite a lot of research. I promise I'm not going to take up much of your time. We've got an hour in the diary. I've managed to get this down to 10 minutes. I'm only going to give you the three things we really need to, to know. And after 10 minutes, I'm open to questions. And then, then we're finished if there's nothing else. And so being really straightforward and being really honest with the audience can set a better tone um, for the start of the, uh, of the audience. And then a third thing to do is to train the audience as early as you can in the presentation. So some version of saying something like, uh, uh, I'm going to get through the main information as quickly as I can. I've got a handout afterwards to give you with more details. And I'm very happy to take questions. But if you don't mind, I'll take those at the end because I want to get through the three points because several people in the room are busy and need to go early. Something like that. So you you tell the audience, wait till the end, because you don't, if it's a hostile audience, you don't want them to disrupt your presentation early and, and, and to take it off track. So those are the three things I'd recommend strongly. Great. This is a super useful interview for our listeners, Lee. So thank you very much. I've got one more question. And the question is about online presentations. Now, today, we live in a world where, of course, we do a lot of presenting face-to-face, but more and more, what we do is online communication, conference calls, video calls. So what we've discussed so far, does, that, does all of that still apply to online communication? Are there any differences? What's your take on this? Yeah, so everything about understanding the audience, relating your message to the audience, having a strong key message, knowing what you want people to do as a result of your presentation, all of those things relate just as much to an online presentation. And actually they relate even if your presentation had to be a document, you know, even if at the last minute somebody said, oh, the technology's failed, mm. you need to email your presentation as a document. It still applies to that. The slight differences with online presentations are obviously you're at the mercy of technology much more. Um, and so, for example, what I've done today is you have to get as much right for that. We haven't spoken about environment, actually. And 
So um, it's probably worth, even in face-to-face -face presentations, I, I, I recommend always thinking about your environment. So if you can get into a room early, get mm. into the room early. Is there, a, you know, is there a curtain flapping in the wind yeah. that you need to get rid of? All sorts of things like that. So today for our presentation, you know, I'm not in my living room. I'm in my office with, with books behind me. It's a nice backdrop. Um, and, and psychologically, it's not, oh, oh, okay, somebody who reads a lot probably worth listening to. So create the best uh, physical environment for yourself. What I use is, because um, I think vocal quality is really important in online presentations. I've got, you probably can't hear it when the I Nice change, yeah. Um, it's a Rode, it's called a Rode microphone, R-O-D-E. Very easy, excuse me, looking inelegant. Um, plugs into the headphone socket of any phone or any computer. Um, and it gives, I hope, because I'm always dependent on the Wi-Fi connection, but it gives quite a nice vocal tone. It I've does. My little headphones in for listening, because what you don't want, and I can't believe how many people do this, Andrea. So many people have the sound coming out of their laptop, yeah. and it bounces back into the laptop, and you get this weird echo or boot or thing. Um, so you want to give yourself vocally the best opportunity. You want to give yourself, in terms of the environment you're in, the best opportunity. Get some decent lighting on, on, on your face. I've got a little light to the other side of the laptop shining, uh, shining on me. Um, then having said that, uh, one of the things that happens with online presentations is you very often get a, quite a strong cultural mix. Mm. Often the reasons that people are giving an, or, or doing an online thing is because people from different countries are dialing in, different backgrounds and so on. So you have to be super prepared for that. You have to acknowledge cultural differences um, so if we were to exaggerate, and I don't want to be rude about anybody listening to this, but let's say if you had, you know, an American uh, team and a Japanese team, right? So let's, let's look at cultural uh, cliches. So Americans, generally speaking, are happy to talk. They're happy to ask questions. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not worried about getting a wrong answer or a wrong question. Whereas a Japanese team are much, much more, uh, they're much quieter quite often. They, 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 they don't necessarily want to ask questions, particularly if you're senior. Mm. So you have to be sort of ready for things like that and you might want to prepare. Okay, I need to get the Japanese team involved, so I'm going to deliberately ask them a question, for instance. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't want to be culturally insensitive to anybody listening, but you, you, you get yeah, the yeah. point. Um, what else? Uh, people have less attention span online. Mm. Um, a phrase I love is on the internet, people have the attention span of a three-year-old and the memory of an 80-year-old. Right? <laughs> I think it's very true. And people, you know, they, they, they don't say it out loud, but we all know it's true. People have got their kids running around or their dogs barking or they're trying to make themselves a drink on, on the side. Um, so your points need to be very clear. You need to repeat things more. Um, and, and, and the last thing I'd say is you need to try and find ways of getting engagement. And that could be simple things like I'll speak for three minutes, then ask questions mm. or give me a thumbs up. If everybody understands this, uh, what do you think Andrea, you know, asking people by name throughout, you need to try and engage people very frequently in an online presentation. Okay. So, so the, the core principles remain valid, but then of course there are some, some things to tweak and, and consider specifically for the online environment. Exactly. Okay, Lee, thank you so much. Let's, let's show the book again, because I think we are done, unless you want to add any other points. Guys, I, yeah, I recommend everybody to read The Busy Person's Guide to Representing Fantastic Book. I think if you are someone, if public speaking is a big part of what you do, if you are called on to give presentations on a regular basis, maybe from a, 
on a conference call or an actual conference, an event, a boardroom, then that's the book for you. So Lee, thank you so much for your time. It's been very useful. It's been very useful for me. I took some notes here because I don't want to wait for the for the full recording to to be available. I just want to go go back and look at your your keynotes and I'm sure it would be very useful for listeners as well. So thank you so much and uh, we keep in touch. Great, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Lee.